Welcome to the Advisory Opinions Podcast. This is David French with Sarah Isger, and this might be our most unique podcast, Sarah. It just might be. Now, full disclosure, um, I I was in Northern California and could not join this interview, um, which I'm so upset about because it is with, drumroll please, Sarah, who is it with? It's with Ben Foltz you know, of Ben Folds 5 and the, like, rock star Ben Folds. <laughs> yeah. So this is the value we deliver to you here on the Advisory Opinions podcast. We're going to deliver to you astrophysicists who explain to us the possibility of alien visitation to the solar system. We're going to deliver to you Olympic curling coaches. We're going to deliver to you uh, rock stars or rock star singular. So how'd the conversation go? And then we'll, we'll roll right into it. But I, I, I didn't get to listen. How was it? So first of all, Ben, what is it now? Two years ago, wrote an awesome autobiography memoir type thing called, uh, a dream of lightning bugs. Um, and he has a new podcast called lightning bugs. So a, you should check out his podcast because it's very cool. It's, um, it's sort of like our August, but like his whole podcast. So he's talking to people from music, uh, science, like everything in between to talk about creativity and what that means in their area. Um, and what their area says about what is creativity. So super cool. And so we decided to import a little of that conversation, uh, into AO and about the law and, what writing means and how you start um, thinking about, you know, your brief or uh, presenting an oral argument to the judge. And he wrote this super neato song. It's, you know, it's my second favorite Ben Fold song um, about Rod Rosenstein and the whole Russia <laughs> investigation. And so I wanted to talk to him about what that process was. I mean, he doesn't know anything about Rod or DOJ or what was going on in the Russia investigation. And yet he wrote this song and the lyrics were so freaking impressive and cool and neat. And, um, I will admit that we, <laughs> when it came out, it was commissioned by the Washington post. And when it came out, um, I sat in the press room with all of our beat reporters who like, you know, worked worked down the hall from me. And we just like sat there and listened to it and couldn't believe that a rock star wrote a song about our lives, like what we did every day. And, um, no, it's not even a close call. Coolest moment of my life. <laughs> like actually coolest, meaning like I felt the coolest, you know? That's fantastic. All right. Well, without further ado, let's roll with it. Joining us now is Ben Folds. That's right. The Ben Folds. Guys, uh, his book, A Dream About Lightning Bugs, is I'm not that into autobiographies because how well does someone really know themselves? Everyone's the good guy in their own story. Uh, none of that is true for this book. Ben Folds is not a guy who uh, is a rock star. He is a polymath who happened to find himself a rock star. Uh, and it makes the book incredible and uh, so much humility. And as an, I don't know if it's fair to call it an offshoot, he has a new podcast, Lightning Bugs, Conversations with Ben Folds. And it's all about creativity which is a little bit what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so, Ben, 
what epiphanies have you had about creativity? Let's just start there. Wow. Drop I think some when knowledge you're on stuff, us. <laughs> yeah, drop some wisdom. Get ready. Brace yourselves, people. You're about to learn something. Um, That's right. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's... Um, I really love, and I quote this all the time, even though I'm not sure exactly, I'm par- I paraphrase this all the time, which is you, you, you never learn to write a book, just the one that you're on. And, and I think that's what, uh, I think it's what happens with creativity. I think you, you make something and you, at, at, at some point you feel like, you know, something about making things about creating something. Then once that's finished, you're back in the dark again. So, um, I think maybe it should be simultaneously inspiring and depressing to know that everyone who makes things goes through that. So at the point where you're sitting in dark, you're going to do something and you will have something at the end of it. But at this moment, you have nothing. And that's all we know. Something I love about your podcast. And by the way, uh, I mean, (laughs) to say that you're interviewing people widely, the guy who wrote Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus, a particular favorite in my household, uh, woman who uses music therapy to help Gabby Giffords talk again, the guy who wrote the music for Pixar's Soul, one of the best movies I think of the last year, maybe the best. Um, uh, So something that's interesting that you've talked about is uh, how much creativity there is in science and that actually we should all think of ourselves a little like scientists when it comes to creativity, which I think is neat because science is about failure. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little yes. about the failure of creativity. Don't you love that too? Like I, I think that's why like something about proper creative science is kind of melancholy and sad. And like, you just think, lonely scientist chasing down this idea and this theory. And then the great accomplishment becomes disproving your own theory. At the end of the day, it's like, I've done it. I get my name on nothing, but now no one else has to go down this road is, uh, is really taking one for the team. I have to say, um, but yeah, I, I, I love talking to the scientists, you know, one of them that's not released yet. One of the podcasts not released yet, uh, with, uh, with Dan Levitin. And I was asking him about, and he is a scientist and a musician. Um, he wrote, this is your brain on, on music, um, neurologist, uh, really, really interesting thinker. And I asked him about creativity and science like you just did me. And he said, well, you know, there, there are two sort of branches of it. There are people who are in science because they basically are just following the, the foot, you know, they're following the mold. They're, they're doing what they're told. And then there are those who are, having to, you know, create, think, problem solve, improvise, all these things are creative. And uh, yeah, I mean, you got to be, you got to be creative. if You're going to move forward in anything. So I've been uh, listening to, I was just listening to uh, another podcast with Angela Duckworth, who wrote Grit, and she was talking to the guy who wrote Freakonomics. It's this great little conversation. And they were sort of having this back and forth about whether grit is good or in fact, people should quit more and that quitting is also uh, a outlet for creativity. And I'm wondering which side of that you fall on. Do people need to have more grit or should we in fact be encouraging like kids, for instance, to quit things more? I'm on team, no team these days about any of those things. <laughs> I think, I think incremental, uh, 
uh, frustrating moment by moment, inch by inch, reevaluating at every moment is the only way to get through. You know, it's good to think about those things like, ah, one needs grit and ah, one needs to quit. And, uh, you know, uh, at two o'clock, one may be true. And at 203, the other may be true. And, and that's where we have to use our judgment and improvise. But I really do, you know, like when it comes to creativity, one of the things I think it's unimpeachable about it, uh, uh, where maybe grit and quit may, may have, uh, you know, may, may be temporary, uh, in being able to improvise and create a solution for any moment is, uh, is the way. So that brings us a little to one of your songs that, you know, I'm obsessed with, although actually it's not, it's not even my favorite song. We'll get to the other one later. Uh, about half of our listeners are lawyers. The other are law, law interested. They're, uh, they're, <laughs> they're dabbling. They're law curious a little. Um, and you wrote this song during the Mueller investigation. Uh, and it's a, it's a law song. It just is. And I want to read some lyrics. People need to go listen to this song. It's called Mr. Peepers. Just go find it on Spotify or YouTube or anything else. Uh, it actually is just a beautiful song, both the lyrics and the music. Um, but here's uh, the chorus. I will not sing it. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> no. Do you want to sing it? No, hell no. <laughs> See, I like the way you turn that around. Okay, I'm not going to mess with you. <laughs> Come on. All right, so it's about Rod Rosenstein and that. So they call him Mr. Peepers as the thugs all smash his glasses, going full Lord of the Flies, burning this island down to ashes. What's the rule of law if we can't agree on what a fact is? There ain't nothing here to see, folks. Move along. Move along. Um. It's incredible, I think, because you're capturing something really fundamental about the law and the rule of law. You're weaving in Lord of the Flies and the, the glasses. And I'm wondering, I mean, this was an incredible creative process, but it also brought in a whole lot of different genres, right? We have, we have literature, we have law, we have history, we have um, patriotism in a lot of ways. And so I'm curious, like, walk us through what that creative process was like for you. It was pretty crazy. I'm not a, a topical generally. I like when I'm writing to remain. I have a specific feeling of an idea that a character might, you know, uh, a space a character might inhabit. And um, I, I think I can I can kind of like look back and and because I've written songs for a long time and and speak this way, but. I'm sort of allergic to, to it uh, uh, as well. Like people say, I do this and I do that. I'm just kind of going by what seems to be my pattern over the years. When I'm writing, I'm just writing, you know, and, uh, and I go to much more sort of childlike space. So just bear that in mind as I break my own songs down. I, I don't, that's not the way you think when you're writing the song. This is what you think after. Uh, so, so, so with that, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I usually write around a character. In this case, I had a very specific character and a very specific assignment from Washington Post, which was, you know, it's like reportage on Rod Rosenstein at a moment where a month before that, I had never heard of Rod Rosenstein. And suddenly he's starting to, uh, he's starting, I guess he's on tour and he's getting a hit song. <laughs> he was getting famous. <laughs> he was breaking because we know that's what he always wanted to do was get super right. famous. 
Yeah. Um, so what I had to do was research. And my research was in the form of watching everything. Mostly I looked at his speeches, which were um, um, uh, graduation speeches, interviews, uh, things he said. Uh, I could get like news pieces on his cases. I could call up the Washington Post and say, what was his time like in Baltimore? And what's this case here? And where does he fall here? To try to get an idea of his character. Because I'm getting ready to write a song about his character. Nothing else. All that other stuff is because of him. The patriotism, it, I mean, not that I'm not patriotic at all, but it's because of him. Uh, like like all those, the, 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 uh, what a fact is, rule of law. He doesn't talk for three minutes in public without talking about the rule of law and the, and, and, and even like the historic, uh, not just talking about 200 years history, but back to Greek history, importance of that as a bedrock. And he was swimming in an ocean, which was showbiz. And I joked about him being on tour and being famous, but how do you really, uh, speak to an audience, uh, and, and state, your case or state a case or try to sit on the bedrock of rule of law when anything goes, when it's fake wrestling, how does one do that? So that was, that was what I decided was the sadness in the song was that you train your whole life for this moment. Now go on stage multiple times and you're acting with people who are actors and you're just telling your truth here are the facts those are the facts at this moment but like you know in the, the house intelligence committee they were allowed to go all fake wrestling on him like they were allowed to to say things that no one would be able to say uh uh in a real court of law if you if you swore an oath you couldn't say those things and they can they can frame it like that all they want to and they know damn well he's bound by his profession and and, and not many people are as honorably bound to their profession as a good lawyer. So th this is where I was coming from when I wrote it. Um, I, I, I have some lamentable images that I, I felt were like collateral damage uh, images. For instance, I wanted to use the Lord of Flies because Mr. Peepers, glasses, bullies. But I didn't, it, uh, uh, Rod Rosenstein did not strike me as the guy that, that necessarily gets bullied. But I saw him, him as representing a whole uh, world of uh, bureaucrats who you can say anything about them you want. You can just, you can get your own YouTube channel, say the world is going to the bureaucrats are taking over all you want to. And the bureaucrats have to just sit and work. They're, they're busy. They're busy, like making your roads work, uh, making your, getting this, uh, uh, you know, school policies sorted. They're busy doing things. They're not in theater. They don't have a YouTube channel. So I, I felt like, you know, People need to take up. That's why the beginning says, God bless the bureaucrat and the lawyer, too, because people always say in folk songs, God bless the farmers and people. And, and yes, God bless them all. But I wanted to say that because no one ever says that. I'm wondering, uh, again, like I just find the lyrics to this song so meaningful and really beautiful. Um, the institution standing that we tried our best to trash it. <laughs> Aren't we all the keepers of this fragile young republic? And when all those Mr. Peepers fall, Lord help us all. How many drafts do you go through in writing a song like this? When you said those words, I remembered 
stacks of note cards that I had on my piano while I was writing that. Wow. And um, yeah, I was trying on, on a lot of things because, you know, we're, we're sort of, when you're writing, you can, you can easily be impressed or seduced by something that sounds good, you know, something that that sounds wise, or that sounds like a sonorous, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 alliteration or something about it that feels or sounds good. So that one I, str- I struggled with because um, I wanted the tone to be just about almost patriotic, like almost, but just still, still real realism oriented. And a lot of times I, 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 I think to do these things uh, by awkward syllables. So I remember playing with slightly awkward syllables on the music so that it remained honest the way that we speak. We don't speak like we're speaking from a script. You know, we, we, uh, uh, we, we speak like I'm speaking now, which is what, uh, uh, you know, like it's things fall on awkward beats. And if you want to, if you want to make sure it, it feels real, I think sometimes it's good to slightly sabotage. So I remember having note card after note card where I was just changing, changing ifs, ands, and buts all, all in it and trying to match the tone, uh, of it. That's the way I build the beat, you know? So what's sort of weird about that to me, I guess, is like, okay, Ben Folds in the 90s, I understand doing that. You're trying to make it. You're striving, man. Like you want to be, you want to be what ends up being Ben Folds. But like the Washington Post comes to you and asks for a song. I don't know. Like, can't you just phone that one in? It sounds like you put a lot of work into this. Uh, What inspired, were you just inspired or do you just put that much work into everything? I think I end up putting that much work into everything and anything that I do, unless I quit part of the way through. I mean, that can happen. Like Mike might, my manager might've gotten a phone call from me, you know, three weeks in or something, just saying, ah, it's not something I, 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 I chased it down. I've been, uh, I've been researching Rosenstein. looks like a douche. I don't feel like doing it. You know, like I, 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 I could have easily done yeah. that, but I got interested. And that is, I think one yeah. of the main one of the main things I, I think I probably talked about too much in my book was just interest and following interest. You know, it's like I had to sit and, and, and live with this character and I did enjoy uh, uh, learning something about, uh, about his uh, trajectory. And even when he would quote his wife and things that she said about her frustration of him, if he was in a private sector would have been making a lot more dough at the time, you know, and that's good for the family and everyone. They wouldn't have to live. I don't know if they like living in Baltimore or not. We didn't look at that, but um, you know, certainly it's not always best for their life. And so I just got interested the way you get interested in the story, you know? That's funny. I've been having this conversation with a, another new mom. Uh, again, it's a little back to grit and it's this idea of our successful people pushing through hard work uh, because that's who they are, or actually do they just find a lot of joy in the hard work? And so it's not unpleasant. It mm. That is for them part of the success, if that makes sense. I'm wondering which category you think you fall into. Well, I fall into both throughout every process. Um, because what happens is you have a moment of inspiration and you can see it sort of, you can see something that you're working on being completed. If you were building a house, it would certainly be like that. That's why I like watching the show Grand Designs. It's one of the only 
shows that we watch. It's just like they just build houses. It's just, and it's funny because every time they start, they're so excited and they're in the middle of it. It's raining on their work and their contractors quit and cost five times as much as I thought. And it's just the way life is. And so at that time, you're like, I, I quit. But something inside you will probably remember the inspiration that 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 was when i'm writing a song at some point i get you know i get moved by it like i get i get some chills about it or something happens but then that goes away and i've learned it it ain't coming back probably now i have to like follow the scripture like i just have to go back to to what the ancients said you know it's like the ancient version of me who said there's the answer at the end of that house and I just have to follow it until the light comes back out again, you know? And so I think both happens, you know, if you're someone that's just going to quit because you wake up in the morning, don't feel like it anymore, then you're probably in the wrong uh, business. But I, I would equally be very suspicious if you wake up every morning, like, you know, high on your creative Jesus every day and are like, <laughs> it's great. Everything I do is wonderful. You know, at some point you're going to be like, I don't trust a, a, someone making something that doesn't wake up every once in a while and say, oh, God. My, oh, this song, the things I do are terrible. I'm a fake. I should quit. Ugh, make myself sick. Like, but you have to work through those things. You have to remember, well, that guy yesterday that was me was really pretty excited about this. It must be something there. And also that, that leads to another thing, which is when you are making decisions based on how terrible or great you feel about what you're doing, you're putting hard, solid bricks into the structure. So you'd better make sure that you're not mentally ill at that point. You know, like, like you can't be, you can't have a malady of your thinking at that point. You need to then tend to your, your, uh, you need to tend to yourself for a moment and make sure that you're not, you know, that you've rested, that you're okay. <laughs> at some point you need to do that because you don't want to go in working on something and sending it in a direction that wasn't, that wasn't right. And that doesn't mean Mentally ill is the wrong word to have used, but it's like you don't want to be um, of impaired judgment. So you can be terribly sad, but know to use it. I've been writing for my career for about 20 years, speech writing especially. This has been true for me. Uh, whatever the line that I am most attached to is the one that needs to go. The line that I think is the very best one when I write it, I'm like, oh, Nailed it, Sarah. That's right. <laughs> in the High end, five yourself. <laughs> that's right. And when and it's weird because it doesn't matter how many times, how many different speeches, like each time this will happen. I'll get to the end. I'll love that line. And by the time you get through all the editing and you really get to where you need to be, that line's got to go every time. And I'm. Uh, do you know when you've hit it, or are you like me, where it's like turns out no, you, you didn't hit it. I think that's normal and 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 uh, and and wise and shows discipline on your part. What are the um, is there anything that those lines end up having in common? Like their fatal flaws that they sound super good and 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 and, and you clever. imagine them that's being why. Walt Whitman? What's that? Yeah, they're they're all clever. That's yeah. yeah. So I, I think they're there clever at the time, and clever is actually usually a not helpful for an audience, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah. Pe pe people, absolutely. So, so they 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 are a little egotistical. Then the those lines are a little more ego based. It's like you kind of imagine you imagine the applause there and stuff. People, yeah, her, 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 and it being yeah. quoted and stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, I'm showing off that I'm like witty or smart or erudite or something. Right. Like, and yeah, and, yeah. What's I think that, I've never again? thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, I think that's, uh, I think that's, that's smart. Now I would, um, I, I, maybe I would amend that just a little bit. And uh, so it doesn't become a, a rule, which is one of the things that I, I would say you've done by eliminating it is you have acknowledged the importance of the overall piece over any one little moment of it. So as, as you're, as you've hit this point of maturity where the rubber's meeting the road and you realize this is going to come out of someone's mouth and hit the audience, we, I wouldn't say we panic, but suddenly we realize we're like, we're, uh, arrested with a little bit of apprehension and fear because you don't you it needs to work i guess and it's like oh shit i have to survive here and then when you look at it you realize there's a log jam in a couple of places and that line that you have put in there has not allowed you to do other things it's hamstrung you yes. and so by losing that the maturity of sacrificing that proves to me that you want nothing more now than to serve the speech rather than the speech serve you. And the reason I go through all that is because sometimes it was a great line. Maybe you can put it back in, but the willingness to take it out is, 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 uh, is almost, it's almost like a maturity. It's, it's like you have now grown up in this speech. We don't learn to write books. We learn to write the ones we're on. And, and, and you are now learning with each of these speeches, how to write that speech. But if you took away from it, as a rule, I always lose my favorite line. That might be a bit, that might be a bit much, you know, uh, but you also learn something about yourself because you learn what those lines have in common. And I would say I suffer from that too. Like I, you know, I would love to have a good quotable line or a moment that's like, you know, there's musical temptation all over the place. Like I could show this off. I could show this chord off. I could do these things. And as you get to the end of it, you go, this has to work. And if you're not willing to take out that egotistical thing, because you think it's a weight bearing column, the only way to know if it's a weight bearing column is to take it out and uh, see if it falls or call structural engineer. <laughs> oh man, that's so true that the, the project has to be bigger than any one piece of it. I hadn't thought about yeah. it that way, but that's and exactly to what it to turns that. out. Yeah. You have to grow. Yeah, Cause when you're, you're building it, you need some of these little, like it was load bearing when I started. Yeah. Then when I actually finished the Coliseum, uh, I didn't need that initial scaffolding anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That ended up being like your Costco shed <laughs> for the end times. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> you don't need that. Okay. You said something in one of your podcasts that has been like, it's been rolling around in my head. Simple and easy are opposites. Hmm. You said it with Mo Willems, um, the author of like all the best children's books right now. All the and best. I thought, so good. <laughs> and yeah. I thought, um, wow, I've never heard it put that way. Uh, I think that is absolutely true in law. Um, when you're making an oral argument, uh, it's mm. not, you have to make it simple. And that's the hardest part is to explain so these complicated hard. legal concepts in a way that you don't have to be a lawyer to understand them. That's what the best lawyers are doing, even with other lawyers. And I thought well, we can see we can see people doing that badly, badly, over and over again on Twitter. 
you're given a certain <laughs> number of characters and you're told and you think you can simplify it and that's supposed to be easy and you just kind of want to go god there needs to be twitter school you need to learn how to speak before you start putting it through that cheese grater because if you say you know uh sarah wears a nike baseball cap that's all you need to know that's it that's all you need to know all right idiot <laughs> Do you, is that true no, in, is, in music as well? Simple and totally. easy or opposite? It is a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it is, um, well, certainly you don't want to conflate the two, um, because it's very, very difficult and complex to whittle something down to what I would call, you know, like, um, specific unambiguous poetry. I mean, it's like you, like by, by being, by being poetic, you're creating a very complex uh, zip file. You want someone to be able to unzip that and not figure out how they sent all that information through the internet. You want to be able to pack it so tightly with one line that people will have the internal instructions to unpack it by way of association, tone, imagery, cadence, all those things, and to make a, a short message that is simple carry that kind of zip file information is very complicated. And it's, it's, it's an intense algorithm, which has to be addressed every single time you try to speak simply or to present a simple oral argument or to, uh, or to, or to like take a song and do it in three chords to make a song, the truth in three chords is not a simple feat. And if anyone could do it, everyone would be doing it, but the simple songs, you know, John Lennon's Imagine or something, you know, they last for years and years and years, and it's just three chords. And how was that arrived at? He tore a lot of hair out to arrive at that. Man, uh, for me, whenever I think of that, I think Galileo, and yet it moves. It's mm. four words and it encompasses yes, like all of our scientific history of the world. God, that is so great, isn't it? All right. I said that Mr. Peepers was my second favorite song. We're going to end on my favorite song. That is still fighting it. Uh, it is my favorite song because at different points in my life, it has meant different things to me. Mm. And I think that's the best kind of song. Um, you know, you hear it first when you're a teenager and <laughs> everybody knows it sucks to grow up. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're totally getting me my teenage angst. Um, and, uh, when I found out that we were having a son, it was the first song that came on like Spotify. Uh, and mm. I just cried. Um, good morning, son. I am a bird. I just was like bawling. Uh, cause I thought, Oh my God, my life is about to change. And it was a totally, it was such a different song. So my question to you is, um, for those who don't know, it's the opening. Good morning, son. I am a bird wearing a brown polyester shirt. You want a Coke? Maybe some fries? <laughs> the roast beef combos only $9.95. It's okay. You don't have to pay. I've got all the change. That's actually the line that I started crying on. Um, but here's my question. Are you at Arby's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah where is it that much well you know i tried to well I, you can 
I mean, look, we could justify that line in a lot of different ways. <laughs> I was in Australia when I wrote it. I don't know what the exchange rate was at the moment. Hey, uh, could you send over uh, about nine ninety five right now in U.S. currency? Because I think I, I got to buy a, an Arby's. And I'm going to invest in some Arby's. Um, you know, it's like that is a case of going with the subconscious in the weirdest way. Um, most of the time, I try to stay more in control of my imagery, but I, I couldn't even express it. Like I've just, uh, I had this little, you know, we had twins and there's this, this is a little boy and he doesn't, he's not, a, he's not a person really yet. I mean, he's like, he's like, you know, a, a fetus living out in the world. It's like, he's just still just can't express himself, but you can see his eyes and stuff. What's he looking at? What's he thinking? How much sense does it make? They know that, you know, he knows he's dependent in all ways, but doesn't know what it's like to not be dependent. And, and these images just came out and they were weird. I mean, that just, that's weird stuff. And I did, I did, uh, you know, um, really consider writing proper lyrics there, but they kept working for me. You know, like, like I could have said all, but you got to watch when you start preaching to people and you get very specific. Again, we talk about the, the, you know, sort of specific ambiguity of poetry. And um, that's just downright goofy. And I, I love that it, uh, that it, it got to you in some way because I, I couldn't, I couldn't explain it. They're, they're, they're almost like outlier lines and, in my music. And I don't normally just let something stick like that, which is like another thing, which is like this condition that, um, that I aspire to in a song, which is to have a, uh, a Wichita lineman moment. Now you can't make those, you can't engineer those, but be open to them and kids law kids. You don't know the song, go back and listen. The Glenn Campbell version is absolutely beautiful. And it's a Jimmy Webb song. And you just do not know why you're moved in the middle. The imagery is a guy, Wichita, he's out in the middle of nowhere. He's climbing up poles on the highway, uh, much like Dick Cheney did back in the day. And he's just, he's just working. And I guess he misses his wife. But we don't really get to that until the middle and just comes out in one line. All, all of the random crap that got you there and the beauty of getting there is the way life is. And so if you start off a song and you go one day, you're going to have a child and he's going to come out and look at you like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's what can be said this specific. That's not going to put people off. You, the worst thing to do when you're a new parent is to have to hear from new, hear from old parents. Anyway, they start telling you like all the wrong stuff. You're going to need to do this and this, and that's a sign of this. And, you want to have this piece of equipment and you don't want to hear from parents. So I just got weird on that first verse. I'm glad it worked. No, it did. For me, it, it was the imagery of you've got this, as you said, like this, like thing that barely exists mm. and you're pulling up into the drive through. Cause you're like, I, I literally don't know what to do with this creature. And it's like, you're with one of your buddies. Cause it's like a human. So you're trying to like yeah. talk to him and you're like, yeah, let's get the fries. Yeah. We'll get the roast beef comp. Yeah, definitely roast beef combo. And then you're expecting your buddy to like help offer to pay. Cause that's what right. people do when you pull up to the drive through <laughs> and then you've got to like right. keep talking to this little baby and you're like, Oh no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. I got this one. You'll get next. Like it's good. 
Um, and even later on, you say like in 20 years from now, maybe we'll both sit down and have a, a few beers and I can tell you about today. And that ended up being after 12 years, but you know, who can, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. It was after eight years. We sat down. <laughs> Cracked open I mean, six pack. He had three. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. yeah we split it. That's good. Good. No, that's really cool. I'm glad you thought about it like that. And that also suggests, you know, right after the drama of childbirth and having gone through all the swings and and trials and tribulations of nine months, now you haven't slept in three days. Might be the best time to make someone cry with a verse. <laughs> <laughs> I might I know, have been an was, easy target. <laughs> you're an easy target, man. I, I, you know, I, I think just about anything. Uh, I mean, just the joy of getting three hours of sleep every once in a while is enough to make you cry. I mean, you had twins, although I I was a COVID birth and they didn't have a nursery. So there was no one took the baby. You were just with the baby. <laughs> oh, my, my. Yeah. You went right down to the river, popped it out of the river. <laughs> Ben, I can't thank you enough for your time today. This is an amazingly cool conversation about creativity. I think lawyers don't think enough about their jobs on the creative side. Um, it's an incredibly creative focused job. If you're, uh, if I think you're doing it in a joyful way, in a happy way, like all you're doing is making creative arguments on behalf of your client. <laughs> well, it's problem solving. Yeah. It's improvising. It's creative expression. Even if you're not presenting arguments, uh, you know, uh, like like they do on television in front of the 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 jury, like it's you know like one of those old movies. Uh, no no matter what, you're still you're still navigating unknown territory, and you're using old tools. Oh, there's an old Napoleonic law. I think I'll be able to take that child right out of the you know that state and put him in this state. There's got to be you know. But I, I bowed. I really I, I hats off to 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 good lawyers like anything else. Um, you know, there are good and honorable uh, people in each profession. And I always feel like people give lawyers uh, a little too much shit. I think uh, uh, one of my best friends is a uh, family lawyer and um, does so many good things for she She changes people's lives. And so I'm down. Boy, that is true. And shout out to the family lawyers. That is such a great point. I mean, we, we, uh, we herald and celebrate the Rod Rosensteins and the uh, Supreme Court advocates. And in truth, uh, it's family lawyers. It's, it's those folks um, who are making like that daily difference and like a huge life-changing difference in people's lives a lot of the time. So great. And like the crusher, the guy that's on the billboard, it's like, you know, personal injury <laughs> lawyer. Hats off to those guys. They're just so fun. <laughs> Well, they do make some great TV ads for us. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Bad PR. All right. And that has been Ben Folds. You got to check out his podcast, Lightning Bugs, Conversations with Ben Folds. And guys, you're going to love the book. Seriously. It's, it's one of those great autobiographies. It's going to take you on a bit of a surprise journey. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Thanks for having me.
we'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsor today, Aura. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on your childhood memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. And to be clear, every mom in my life has this frame. Every mom I've ever heard of has this frame. This is my go-to gift. My parents love it. I upload photos all the time. I'm just like bored watching TV at the end of the night. I'll hop on the app and put up the photos from the day. It's really easy. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code advisory at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply.